0: I'm David Goldstein
1: and I'm Brian Brinkman
0: and you are tuned into the Beyond the Pond podcast. Generally speaking, this is the podcast which Brian and myself use the music of fish to introduce a listener to other non-jambins that we think that they will like. This time around is a little different. This is the second edition of our first impression series of Beyond the Pond where Brian and myself do a deep dive into a new album that has us very excited and we think the listener will enjoy
1: absolutely and we are talking in this episode of first impressions about the nationals sleep well beast their seventh album which came out the morning of us recording here september 8th a couple days ago as of posting time this is their first since 2013's Trouble Will Find Me and uh, a record we both have very much been looking forward to since uh, I guess since it was announced but we kind of knew about this going back even until 2016 right Dave
0: yeah I mean I think we knew that there was going to be a national record in 2017 and as has been the recent uh, recent promotional style—it seems like these bands decide to go ahead and release like four or five singles before the album itself proper comes out. I don't exactly know, don't know why that is, but they did that with the War on Drugs, and that's what happened with Sleepwell Beast. There were four singles released before the album proper came out today.
1: It's almost like the exact opposite of what certain bands are doing by dropping an album completely by surprise, either a week out or the night of (laughs) it's like either release half the album or just drop the album before everyone hears it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, I think ever since high violet came out, certainly, I mean, um, high violet being, uh, when did that come out in 2010?
1: Yeah. 2010.
0: Yeah. The national, I guess, as befits a band whose front man used to be, um, a graphic designer. They are the Kings of the promotional push. They are, they, They really milk it, to say, with um, lots of interviews with lots of different magazines, single releases, secret shows, live performances, NPR showcases, the packaging on the album itself, if you get the vinyl version, is out of this world. And they really put a lot of effort into the run-up. But as opposed to, say, Arcade Fire, it does never seem annoying.
1: (laughs) Boy, Arcade Fire just cannot escape abuse on this podcast.
0: No, um, they can't, and they won't.
1: I definitely agree <laughs> with you, though. It it uh, I it's it felt especially in the last month or so, six weeks, that I couldn't go onto Facebook without getting some new notification about the national, and um, I was never annoyed by it. I always wanted more information. I always wanted to hear more from the band. You know, I think the first thing I remember hearing about this album um, was in a. Uh, matt berenger interview back in 2000 either 2015 or early 2016 where he said that this was going to be a very mathy record it was going to be a dancey record It was going to be very different from all other national albums and it got me intrigued and i've been intrigued ever since and um dave what are your first impressions of the record now that we both have heard it a couple of times
0: Well, when he says that, it's not going to sound anything like a National album. I think you and I know that was never going to be entirely true. Totally. Because um, the National, like few bands, they played to their strengths. You kind of know exactly what you're going to get going in, which is very well-textured, middle-aged, sad bastard music. And it's not a huge surprise, but this is very much a headphones record. I mean, I figure even on vinyl, your stereo won't pick up all the nuance. I got the vinyl. It came in yesterday. I put it on my stereo. I said, all right, this sounds like the National. This is obviously very good. This morning on the way to work, I listened in headphones, and I was kind of speechless. There's just a world of sonic nuance That you pick up, which is really, really made for headphone listening. And I guess what distinguishes this national record from the others is that this is the one where they really screw around with drum machines. And it seems like they were hitting the vape pen even harder than usual.
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you know, um, my first thought, I'm in full agreement with you, it's its not a total departure, and I don't really know if I'd want a total departure from this band. I really like no. the sound, and uh. one thing I like from what they do is um, every album sounds like a further refinement, and it reminds me in some cases only in this sense of um, The War on Drugs' most recent record, a deeper understanding in that um, Adam Grandchild didn't, totally remake the one drug sound, he just refined it and figured out ways to push it even further. And I've always loved that about the national, but um, to me, the closest lineage within regards to their catalog is high violet and um, high violet was their kind of initial experimental record where they toyed around with a ton of uh, sonic noise and distortion but famously, you know, by all accounts, it sounds as though they didn't enjoy making the record. It really sounds like they enjoyed making a record like this that stretches their sound out in a lot of ways. It feels a little bit cleaner, but a little bit looser at times than High Violet. Um, and I agree with you, there's there's Easter eggs everywhere. Uh, throughout the entire album, you're just, you listen to it once and then you hear it again, and suddenly you're just hearing different noises, different places, and different breaks between, uh, verses have just kind of dead space and dead air that is just filled with little nuances from the Destiner brothers. It's, it's excellent in that sort of sense.
0: Yeah. I mean, not for nothing that they recorded it up in, um, one of the Destiners, he owns a studio up in the Hudson Valley, I think outside of Hudson itself mm-hmm. called Long Pond. And, um, I have some experience spending some time up in Rhinebeck for long weekends and it can it can get pretty desolate up there. So if it sounds a little bit more rural, a little more a little more isolated, a little more woodsy paranoid than their other albums, that could be part of the reason why.
1: Totally. I mean a lot of their records have always sounded like walking through New York City to me and this is the first one that just doesn't. Um I like that. It's a different spin on it. Um, From a lyrical standpoint, uh, you know, my first impressions of this are there's a lot of references to marital issues. um, And I would say anybody who's been married over five years will find at least one thing to relate to in this record, if not uh, the entire record. Um, Yeah,
0: I would just say uh, the band is no stranger to lyrics dealing with domestic strife. And yet this may be the domestic strifiest of the national records. Yeah. get <laughs> it, it kind of sounds to me like 12 variations on the scene in uh, the, Stanley, the Stanley Kubrick movie Eyes Wide Shut where Nicole Kidman gets stoned and has it out with Tom Cruise. And he's like, the pot is making you very aggressive. <laughs> so uh, in that sense, it almost feels like somewhat of a companion record to... Yola Tango's and Then Nothing Turned Itself Inside Out, and that's known as the Yola Tango Record with whispered songs, lyrics about marital discord, which may or may not actually reflect the lives of the authors. We know that uh, Matt Berninger, he wrote the lyrics with his wife, Corinne Besser, who used to be a fiction editor at The New Yorker. Um he claims it's not autobiographical. He says it's about as much being married to a band as it is another person. I'm not entirely sure I believe him all the time, but you know.
1: <laughs> I think I, I can definitely hear the the band aspect of it, but yeah, it's um it sounds like a lot of very tense ten o'clock on a Tuesday kitchen conversations um that start somewhere. Uh, perhaps about dirty dishes left in the sink and suddenly lead to three hours later, you're still in the middle of a conversation that you don't know where you, how you got into it or when you're going to get out of it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. you're going to make the coffee. I thought you were going to make the coffee.
1: Right, right, right. I
0: don't care. It makes the damn coffee. Just do it. (laughs) Well, you know,
1: (laughs) with that, you know, um, and I remember around the time of high violet, I think you had mentioned this to me that, um, Matt was really nervous about his young kids growing up in the world at that point in time. And uh, the lyrics were very reflective of just being a young parent. Um, this kind of feels like when you get past the point of worrying about your kids as, you know, really young kids, there's a lot of drug references in this uh, album that haven't been super apparent in a lot of past national albums. They used to be the band that um, you would, imagine drinking a bottle of wine to. Now they feel like a band that you have a vape pen to as well. Um, It does sound to me like Matt's going through a particularly mind-altering midlife crisis if he is going through one. I would say as well, uh, Turtleneck, the sixth song on the record. Um, I feel like this is the first true rock song that The National has made. Am I I wrong about this?
0: Yeah, Turtleneck's cool. I guess with some of the lyrics... It could be some very overt political references to uh, what's the lyric like jerks in shitty suits or this is so embarrassing. A lot of screaming. I think he said it was written a little bit after the election, or around the time of the election. So there's definitely uh, certainly some catharsis in that song. It's going to be a lot a, of
1: uh, fun to see to live. Uh, tweeting out to the world on your golden toilet, so we all know what's going on there Um, yeah, (laughs) that's going to be
0: fun to see live, I could see that closing a main set but uh, yeah, certainly that song Empire Line and I Will Still Destroy You both of which kind of sound like early 2000s Radiohead because of the reliance on drum machines and electronics and those two songs, those are sort of the standouts for me at this point
1: yeah, you know, um, I had heard the first half of the record multiple times. Um, I think when they played the live show in Paris, that was on Pitchfork TV back in June. Right. They opened up with the first four tracks of the record. Um, nobody else will be there. Uh, Day I die. Uh, Walk It Back and The the System Only Dreams in Total Darkness, the first single on the record. So I was very familiar with that. Then I heard it again when they played the show in Philadelphia, and I'd only heard the second half one time through until today. And um, I was completely blown away by the second side of the record, starting with Empire Line and I'll Still Destroy You. And the fact that those do sound like Radiohead um, really gives me a sense of It's the one time I really feel like the band really departs from itself, Uh, other than, I guess I would say, the album's closing track, Sleep Well Beast. Um, All of this to say is uh, I I love the overall sonic sound of the album, but I, I think it's great that midway through there's two songs that just really sound completely out of place in the national catalog, but also work incredibly well. And what's
0: cool is that there are lots of drum machines on the record, But they usually result in building up to and or being doubled by real drums. Right. And when your drummer happens to be Brian Devendorf, this is extra awesome. I mean, the drums on this album, they do not slouch, not one iota. He still does this pounding martial marching band beats that make him one of the most unique and skilled drummers in drummers in indie rock.
1: So what do you think, Dave? You know, this is the seventh album of, of The National, but obviously you and I both would know The National shifted gears a lot with their 2005 record, Alligator, and then especially with Boxer, that feels like The National's arrival. Um, taking Boxer, High Violet from 2010, and Trouble Will Find Me from 2013, what are your comparisons of this to those records?
0: um like you said i think it certainly probably has its closest cousin in in high violet i think relative to trouble will find me trouble will find me is great it's a little more uplifting a little more optimistic it also has a little more filler like there's some songs in that album that seem more like sketches that i don't really need to listen to ever again i don't I never really have an urge to listen to songs like Fireproof or Slipped. Where's the 12 songs on Sleep Well Beast? Each one seems to have a purpose in mind. And there really isn't much I have a desire to skip, despite the fact that the um, album is almost an hour long. I think it's like 58 minutes.
1: Yeah, I think it's actually the longest record that they've made to this point. But um, yeah, you know, it's interesting. Trouble Will Find Me did not hit me immediately. Um, whereas High Violet grabbed me the moment I heard it Um, this record I definitely like a lot more immediately than I liked Trouble Will Find Me and I grew to like a lot of the songs that Trouble Will Find Me Um, even the ones that I had kind of pushed aside initially Um, whereas this I feel like I'll just keep listening to this over and over and over again and just have no desire to skip anything
0: Yeah, Trouble of Five means a lot of peaks and valleys. Yeah. It it peaks very high. It has some lows. It all is kind of a mishmash. And even with the way it was sequenced, kind of tends to feel more of like a jumble. Not so much a B-Sides collection, but it, it really jumps all over the place. And it kind of it took... It seemed like it took the boxer sound as far as it could possibly go. Totally. So when on this record, it has more in the way of electronics, more in the way of drum machines and programming, it kind of makes sense if they wanted to take things in more of a, like a weird math rock direction. In that it's still... It, this record is instantly recognizable. as a national album. But it has... Electronic flourishes that are more than just mere window dressing. I think.
1: Yeah, I mean, and I'm a High Violet is my second favorite album of the decade. When I hear this, I, I agree with you. I kind of feel like the sonic experimentations on High Violet start to feel a little forced, and this feels like a record that naturally came together and in reading about the recording sessions for the album it sounds like the band got together when they felt inspired and ready to record and they spent a bunch of time together and then they kind of went off and they did their own separate things and um, Matt recorded a side project, Elvi Elvi the Dessingers did uh, some producing as well as some, I believe they did one of them did some Broadway work I think um, or some film scores. Uh, they One did the of them,
0: Dead. Oh yeah, right. Got the Day of the Dead compilation. That was incredible.
1: Yeah. So I mean, there's a lot that was going on within the national world between Trouble Will Find Me, which came out in May of 2013, and this. But, and and obviously, this record probably took. You know, there were a lot of time. There was a lot of time spent on the record, but it definitely feels like they let it just breathe and work itself out. Rather than like High Violet, it sounds like there were a lot of hours spent in the studio trying to force something to happen in alternate takes and redos um, that you don't necessarily get from this album. And then yeah, you can reception from, you know, first impression of it.
0: You can hear the deadlines in High Violet. Right, right, right. What do you have in terms of favorite songs at this point?
1: Can I just say all of side B? Okay. <laughs> I mean, uh, no, I mean, I think from, uh, from initial tracks, I would say just if I could pick two. Uh, the opening track, nobody else would be there. I loved the live version of it, um, but I love the studio version that much more. Um, the noise that kind of crackles as the record starts, and um, similar to your comparison to, and then nothing turned itself out, or it turned itself inside out. Um, nobody Else Will Be There has a feel to every day and just right. like a slow, slow build. Like, this is a nighttime record. With a drum machine, augmented Drums. by the drum machine. So I would say that and, and I'll Still Destroy You are the first two tracks that have really just leveled me.
0: I would say my current favorite's probably Empire Line just because it sounds like it's got these, like... Like the, I think what it sounds like, vibraphones, almost like calling out in Morse code. The build is incredible. The way it incorporates the electronic pulses into the Brian Devendorf drums and just takes off like a rocket. That song is amazing. Can't
1: you find a way?
0: Can't you find a way? I don't know what I'm expecting. You can
1: say so many things that I
0: wish you won't. Can't you find a way? Can't you find? There's two um, for an album that's so concerned with. Domestic strife and longing. And there's two genuine love songs which I like. Uh, certainly, Born to Bag and Dark Side of the Gym, mm-hmm. which concludes with some incredible orchestral flourishes at the end of it, tacked down, which are really neat. But I think, uh, in addition to Empire Lyman, the song that just sticks with me would probably be Corinne at the Liquor Store, which it's been out yeah. for a little while as a single, but that. It almost kind of feels like the ultimate national song, like the ultimate culmination of sad bastardry. Yeah, is that no, I agree. One yeah. song.
1: Well, there's like Just, a line that you can draw from, um, well, definitely Pink Rabbits to current at the Liquor Store. Dead. It's
0: very Pink Rabbits. It's like a better version of Pink Rabbits.
1: So, you know, we are getting to that point where. Still a ways away from the year's end, but um, starting to formulate our big year-end list. Where where does this rank for you in your overall twenty seventeen list? At this point, I mean the
0: national or one of my favorite bands so far. This meets my expectations that it does everything I want in a new national record. So yeah, I mean this would be in my top five at this point. I mean probably the top. Three would be this, The War on Drugs, and Luke Elliott, who I think I mentioned the last full episode, Beyond the Pond.
1: That's moved into your top three. That's impressive.
0: Oh, he's great. That's a great album.
1: It's going to be great to see where our top fives are, top tens even, compared to what we talked about in July, because there's been some really great records that have come out in the last uh, four to six weeks. Um, I would definitely agree this is definitely a top five for me and might even be two or three right now with... Um, war on Drugs as well. Uh, it's gonna be pretty boring if our top threes are <laughs> two out of three are the same, but I don't, I don't care. <laughs> um, I need more time with both just to like see where they're at. But I mean, same with you. One of my favorite bands. This lives up to all of my expectations, and you know, in some ways, um, as much as it sounds like The National, it kind of allows you to reimagine who The National are and who they could be. And um, it feels to me like it. Really extends what they're capable of for the next album cycle or the one after.
0: So, in brief, why should people listen to this record?
1: So, my thought on this is the National speak to a very specific fear that's very postmodern, very professional, and more than likely someone who is a young new parent or uh, uh, has, is in a very serious relationship. And uh, many of our listeners are these exact type of people. Um, This is a record that speaks to a lot of my friends. This is a record that speaks to a lot of people I know from a lyrical standpoint. Um, And I would say even more than that, um, Matt Beringer's his baritone lyricism is uh, really the centerpiece of the band in a lot of cases. It's what you hear first. It's what you really follow throughout songs. But You know, the thing that drew me into the National initially was the fact that it's a band filled with four of the smartest creative musicians in indie rock. And they really fill out song structures with true, true sonic experimentation that comes from a very knowledgeable place, but also a very creative place. Um, And they consistently work to inject their songs with very nuanced noise that's not very overwhelming. It forces you to listen harder, um, and really just adding kind of ideas filtered in and out of a song that keeps you wanting to come back for more and keeps you hearing a song in a completely new way. Um, you know, for for anyone who enjoys truly listening to a record on repeat, uh, in an effort to soak in all the themes, all the ideas, to really grasp what the record is. Sp- saying to them, who likes listening listen to a record where the first time they hear it, they're like, I know I like this, but I don't exactly know why I like this. And then you just keep hearing it over and over and over again. Um, the National is a band for you, and Sleep Well Beast would be a really quick route to that. I, I think it'd be a great entry point for a lot of people to get into the National.
0: Yeah. Um, I guess, like the War on Drugs, although the two bands sound nothing alike, these guys are really studio alchemists. Totally which I really dig. I mean, their strength is, like you kind of hinted at, really adult-sounding, sad bastard music involving relationships, involving families, just, you know, sort of real people with real problems, albeit, I guess, first-world problems. Yes. But they really... uh they played at their strengths hard. They don't need to reinvent themselves with each successive record as opposed to putting new angles on their established sound. And at this point, it really is their sound alone. And, you know, I guess one could almost say that them working within the singular sound, it's comfort food. But unlike, say, bands like Spoon or the new Pornographers, whose certainly fan bases overlap, with National fan base, and they largely operate from album to album within their own sound. I mean, nothing about the National is particularly comforting, Mm -hmm. because it's still paranoid, somewhat discomforting sound, especially on this album. But it's also extremely addictive.
1: Right, right. National's never really going to be a band you're going to put on a party and be like, dude, you got to hear this.
0: Maybe Dinner Party.
1: Dinner Party for sure, um, but it's... it's not really, like, the type of music you're going to throw on over, like, a like a positive conversation. No. <laughs> you know? You can
0: put on, like, the latest Spoon, like, Hot Thoughts, or the latest New Pornographers. It's upbeat. It's catchy. Britt Daniels trying to be, like, the sexy soul man.
1: They're kind of one of those That's bands that, like, little. you know, there's a lot of times you'll be hanging out with a buddy, and you're like oh, man, you've got to hear this. And then you throw it on, and your friend digs it, and they want the record. The National's kind of one of those bands that, like, you either have to come to them by yourself, or someone has to tell you, and then you have to go and listen to them by yourself.
0: Um, yeah, if you're having a party with your buddy and getting down and saying, holy fuck, you got to hear this, and you put on Nobody Else Will Be There, Who will kind of look at you funny.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, but <laughs> all that said... Uh, you know, that's why it speaks to so many of us so well. A lot of us have um, a lot more alone time than uh, we were used to 10, 15 years ago. And the Nationals are a good band for that. They are um, uh, Mopi men's health music. I love it. <laughs> men's health music. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, now that the Walkman are no longer around, you need a Mopi... Bottom of uh, bottom of the shot glass late night band and certainly I think Sleepwell Beast might be the late nightiest mopeiest of the national albums at this point.
1: Yeah and, and
0: that's great. It's great. All right. I think on that note, said this, this is a record we both enjoy very much, and if you got into this point in the podcast, we think you will enjoy it as well. We hope you'd enjoy this. First Impressions edition of Beyond the Pond with the National Sleepwell Beast. I'm David Goldstein.
1: I'm Brian Brinkman.
0: And thank you, and come back next Tuesday when we will once again go Beyond the Pond. It's gonna be different after tonight You're gonna see me in a different light It's a gone
1: conclusion